You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Right now, Mr. Noisy on the other side of the table. What are you doing thrashing and crashing and beating and pounding over there? What's going on? I'm trying to find my place. <laughs> <laughs> Your place is not here. <laughs> I know. <laughs> How are you doing today, Zeb? I'm good. Good to see you again. Yeah. It's, it's good been to a be while. home and yeah. a good, nice day out there today. It's great. You know, you and I both have been on some road trips, and uh, this last trip I took down to Wickenburg, Arizona, I could have used the Scout on a occasion and some of the scouts in the old west uh were they good bad or indifferent both Uh, Both. okay all right so we're gonna talk about military scouts now one thing a lot of people don't realize and actually this is where hollywood kind of gets it right they do show indian scouts uh, occasionally indian yes yes but we're going to talk about both the white man and, and the, the Indian scouts, okay. yeah. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the scouts first. Then I'm going to talk about a particular individual named Albert Sieber. Albert, good old Albert. Albert Sieber. Okay. So anyway, the conquest of the U.S. Army over the Indian nations in the West would not have been possible without military scouts. Okay. Now, the Army scout had no rank within the military, but he was as respected as an officer. So they were well respected back then. Uh, a breed apart, scouts were loners who were accustomed to spending long periods of time by themselves. They understood nature like no others, uh, save except the Indians. And when hunting and tracking, they navigated by the map of the terrain they carried in their heads. And I've mentioned that before about some of these guys that almost had like a photographic memory of the valley and the rivers. I've got a picture in my mind's eye of the scouts for General Custer, and they're coming at him head on at a dead run yelling, you've got a problem, see you later. <laughs> You're on the wrong road. <laughs> but, you know, most importantly, they were uh, really walking encyclopedias of facts about yeah. the Indians, uh, whom they were usually hired to trail. So obviously they would make the best ones to hunt uh, and track Indians, uh, renegade Indians, I guess. But, you know, a scout's job included more than just leading an expedition to its destination or trailing Indians. Often scouts were in charge of finding game to eat and sufficient water supply. And when trailing, a scout gathered information by studying the land for clues. Now, it's always amazed me. Broken twigs, displaced rocks, hoof prints, even manure provided valuable help in locating who they were tracking. Are you good at that? Can, you, can be, you be a trailer yourself, a I'm, good trail man? If I'm on I-84, I'm usually pretty good. I see. If I, I get see. off, I'm in trouble. Yeah, but I mean, like, you, could you get off your horse and put your hand on some um, and say, well, that's three hours old? N- there's no way. Mm. And these guys were good. Uh-huh. Now, i give you an example. Uh, they said uh, if, you see, uh, if they saw a band of wild horses okay. and they were in single file, they were heading towards water. Okay. If you saw that same band of horses and they were kind of spread out eating, they were coming away from water. Really? And another thing, uh, there was I a never bird. Thought about that. There was a bird called I think it's called the mud dauber. The mud dauber. Dauber. And if you saw mud in the beak of the bird, he was coming away from water. 
if he, that same bird was, didn't have any mud in his mouth or beak, he was heading towards water. Now, that's just a couple of little examples. I don't even know what a mud dauber I looks like. I don't either, but they did. You know. Oh, okay. But uh, anyway, these guys were paid about the same as a captain, so they were paid better than the typical Army guys. But okay. some Army scouts, such as Kit Carson, uh, Thomas Fitzpatrick, and Jim Bridger, they had been fur trappers. So their knowledge of the terrain, the game, and the Indians resulted from their experiences as mountain men. So they'd make great scouts, really. Mm. So other Army scouts included uh, Wild Bill Hickok, uh, Buffalo Bill, Cody. Uh, and these were men that had lived and worked on the frontier long And they enough. knew all this stuff. Yeah. They'd lived there long enough to have a good knowledge of the Indians who lived there. And scouts were also selected from a group of men who had more knowledge of the wilderness than any fur trapper or frontiersman. Mm. So the Indians frequently employed by the Army, they often proved to be the most efficient scouts. And again, it just makes sense. An Indian, obviously in his native area, uh, would know much more than the, the military people. Well, yeah, when they were uh, trying to find Geronimo in Arizona, I know they used Apache Indian scouts. Right. exactly. Yeah. But there are several eastern nations that furnish scouts for the Army, including the Delaware, the Iroquois, uh, among western peoples, the Pawnee, the Apache, the Cheyenne, the Crow, Sioux, scouts, all, uh, they all proved to be very essential to the success of the Army's campaigns. Hmm. Now, one group excelled in this line of work, and that was the Seminole Negro Scouts. Really? And I hadn't heard of that particular uh, tribe. I hadn't either. But in the early 1800s, they had fled their homeland in Florida and migrated to Texas, where they performed outstanding service for the Army. Really? Yeah. Did they know what a mud dauber was? Uh, you know, I, knowing what they know, I suppose they probably did. A lot that. more than what we've just talked about. So. Yeah, I'm surprised about yeah. that. Now, this is probably a good place to stop, because then we're going to talk about uh, one individual. Okay, we're going to talk about a guy that shot himself in the foot, right? <laughs> well, we'll get to that. Okay. Hey, <laughs> Hey, don't forget Minicash's sales, 1321 East Main Street in Burley with Zach and the whole crew. And I mentioned just the lumber a moment ago. Listen, they've got all the western windows. They've got everything over there. They've got brand new doors. Need a new door for your home, your back door, your front door, whatever. And upgraded the windows to the western windows. Keep the heat in and the cold outside. They've got it all for you. Just please take my word for it. Minicash's sales has what you're looking for. Please stop in or give them a call today at 878-2091. Wonderful people to work with. Absolutely friendly service. Minicasha Sales, 1321 East Main Street in Burley, bringing you Dr. History. And now, back to more on how to tell a mud dauber. All righty. So this guy we're going to talk about, and I'm going to bet Nobody's heard of him. I I'm just going to guess. No. His name is Al or Albert Sieber. S I E B E R Sieber. Sounds like a store owner. Yeah, he does. You yeah. know, but uh, anyway, he was a friend to the Apache who served under him as scouts. And Al Sieber was a relentless and resourceful enemy to warriors he was paid to pursue. Oh. So he was good at what he did. Good guy. He became a legendary scout in Arizona during the 1870s and 1880s and watched as his fame spread nationwide, especially following his campaign against Victorio and Geronimo. Uh-huh. So he was involved in that. Yeah. Anyway, Albert Sieber was born on February 29, 1844 in Mingelsheim, Germany. His father died when Al was only one year old, but his mother managed to immigrate with her large family to the United States in 1849, so he was, what, five years old? Yeah. 
The Siebers settled in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and lived there for seven years. Now, when he was 12, Al moved with his mother and married sister to the logging settlement of Minneapolis in Minnesota Territory. Oh, a little now, house on the prairie. Now, that's getting close to your territory, right? Yeah, well, I was uh, about 400 miles south. Oh, okay, all yeah. right. Uh, anyway, as a teenager, he apparently worked as a teamster and as a volunteer policeman. <clears throat> Now, at age 18, this is now 1862, Siebert joined Company B of the first Minnesota Volunteers. His first Civil War campaign was at the Siege of Yorktown, Virginia, hmm. where his skill with the rifle earned him duty as a sharpshooter. And, you know, a lot of these guys were excellent shots. You know, yeah. they were very yeah. good. But he fought at Chancellorsville and at Gettysburg. Wow. Now, during a charge at Gettysburg, Siebert was wounded in the head and the leg. And he spent five months in the hospital, although he was promoted to corporal in 1864, he did not see any further combat. And you, you've read about Gettysburg, and just to survive... It's amazing that he even lived. Yeah, I mean, that is yeah. a terrible, terrible, terrible waste terrible. of You've lives. been there, by yes. the way. Yeah, uh, really sobering to be on that battleground. I remember about three years ago you yeah. were there. Yeah. But anyway, Sieber headed west to the Mississippi early the following year. He drifted around working at a variety of occupations. He lived in San Francisco for a few months, then became a tie cutter for the Central Pacific Railroad. Now, that had to be hard work. Oh, my. I'm, you know. But anyway, he ventured to the mining district of Nevada, where he worked as a road grader near the mining town of Virginia City. He prospected at White Pine in Utah, and he helped drive a horse herd from Southern California to Prescott, Arizona in 1868. So he kind of wandered and did a lot of different odd jobs. Mm -hmm. So in Prescott, Arizona, he made the acquaintance of some noted scouts and guides. Now, from these veteran scouts, Sieber received invaluable instruction about the countryside, about the Indians, and this information proved helpful when he became the foreman of a ranch in Williamson Valley. Uh, and I'm not sure if you know where that is. I haven't heard of that. I, I can't honestly say. But anyway, this was uh, frequently raided by Indians, and Sieber saw his first action against Apache while riding uh, and chasing Indians in this Williamson Valley, which uh, I guess is in Arizona there somewhere. Yeah, someplace, yeah. yeah. Anyway, by 1871, Sieber was scouting for the cavalry. He also tried his hand at prospecting once again, but was unsuccessful. And for the rest of his life, he periodically worked various claims. But uh, like a lot of those guys, he really never did uh, make it. So here we are. It's 1871. He's 27 years old. General George Crook was assigned the command of the Department of Arizona, and the gifted Indian fighter needed somebody like Al Sieber. So Crook developed a strategy of systematically crisscrossing Apache territory with small units that regularly fought or harassed the Indians uh, that they encountered. And it made life on the reservation seem a little more desirable because mm -hmm. they were constantly being harassed. Yeah. Well, a key to Crook's success was his widespread use of reservation braves as scouts. And that's what I mentioned. There were a lot of Indians that served as scouts. And now Sieber and other experienced Arizona frontiersmen found steady employment leading these Indian allies. Yeah, but wait a minute. You know, this was a dangerous job. Yeah. They're up in front of any and all of the cavalry, and uh, they're maybe miles ahead, and they're scouting the best route to go. I would imagine the longevity of a scout was not that long. Well, 
that sounds right. Uh, because, but again, as as well as they knew the territory and yeah. could tell when a horse had come through, uh, whether it was a male or female horse. I mean, there's it's just amazing the uh, knowledge that these guys had. Yeah. So, but anyway, Seber uh, was har- her, uh, hired during the flurry of activity following the Loring massacre on November fifth, eighteen seventy one. And what that was, it was there were six men on a stagecoach that were killed by Apache near Wickenburg. Oh, oh, that's where I was. That's where you were. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, his pay was one hundred and twenty five dollars a month compared to the $13 a month received by an army private. So wow. they actually were paid pretty good. In that time, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, at the conclusion of the winter campaign of 1872-73, Sieber was one of the few scouts that was retained on a steady basis. Now, during the late winter and spring of 1874, there was a Lieutenant Schuler who led a sweeping expedition consisting of Company K of the 5th Cavalry, and they had a pack train of 80 mules and 122 scouts that was commanded wow. by Sieber. Uh, and I, I just wonder how well he was able to control 122 scouts. And they must have respected him because they did, you know, they wow. followed him. And now, these other scouts, the 122, were they of Apache descent? Uh, well, they were going after Apache. I see. But so were they I, Indian scouts? Yeah, they were Indian scouts. I, I believe most of I them. I see. But I'm, it doesn't say what uh, tribe they were from. But okay. they were they ranged 1,500 miles in three months, and they were regularly encountering the Apaches. You would think that there would be, and I'm not trying to throw uh, water on your fire here, but you would think there would be a lot of uh, lookout. They're not being or saying all they could be or should be. In other words, what I'm saying is a lot of the scouts might have had allegiance to some of the Indians, and they could have given a lot of false information. Right. I, and I, but, you know, with Seaburn being the way he was, I would think he would find that out uh, after a time or two. But 122 is a big number. Yeah. But the good thing about the Indian scouts is they had a knowledge of where uh, a camp might be uh, established uh, for, you know, for the tribes. But anyway, Sieber tended to discipline his scouts very strictly. And on this particular expedition, at at least one was actually executed by hanging. Oh, my. Uh, Yeah, that'll that'll put the others in line. Yeah. On other occasions, Sieber was known to shoot disobedient scouts. I see. (laughs) So I guess that could tend to keep people in line. Yep. You know. But uh, one or two of his men once decided to kill him in camp. Now he was forewarned by a loyal scout. Sieber shot one of the would-be murderers in the head as he crept toward his bedroll. The other culprit tried to run, but Sieber shot him as well. Holy smokes. So, again, I think this would tend to uh, keep the rest of the scouts in line. Well, you'd so, think so, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so here we are, uh, 1873 through 1879. Sieber was regularly in the field as chief of scouts and the only permanent guide at a place called Camp Verde. Oh, okay, I've been there. Have you? Okay. Yeah. Now, in 1875, the Verde Reservation was closed. Now, nearly 1,500 Indians were transferred to the San Carlos Reservation. Are you familiar with that? Mm, I am, yes. Okay. While on the way, an intertribal battle erupted, causing at least 15 casualties. Now, the toll might have been higher if it hadn't been for Sieber, who stepped between the lines, braved the rain of crossfire, and stopped the shooting just by standing, getting in front of these two factions of tribes. We never said he was smart. <laughs> but he stopped him. <laughs> now, and one and thing, he never got shot? 
Not then. Oh, we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> so, anyway, throughout the 1880s, Sieber remained employed as chief of scouts in Arizona. And, okay, January 1st of the following year, Sieber was wounded. Now, this is where he got shot. Oh, look out. Okay, so we're at the San Carlos uh, Reservation and involved an Indian named Apache, the Apache Kid. Now, he had served as a scout under Sieber, but the Apache Kid had killed a man over the death of his father, which was what they did. You know, they revenged. Yeah, revenge. But uh, deciding to give himself up, the kid ro- rode into San Carlos with several followers. Sieber pursued the kid and his friends, or uh, persuaded them, to hand over their guns. And as Zebra placed the weapons near his tent, the shooting began. Well, Zebra, I think he was smarter than we think. He darted into a tent for a gun. But when he came out, an Apache named Curly shattered his left foot with a rifle slug. And the Apache kid fled. He was later arrested, but he escaped again and was actually was never recaptured. I see. I'm going to look into him. I, I, he could be an interesting guy to do Yeah, let's check on the old Apache kid. So, so anyway. So well, what about Sieber's foot? Well, it, it was hurting. Well, duh. <laughs> so I showed you a picture of him on crutches. Yeah, him and I could run a race. <laughs> That's right. Well, anyway, bedridden at San Carlos for several months. So it must have been a pretty good wound. Yeah. But Seaver never regained full use of his left leg. And eventually he traveled by train to Minneapolis for a visit with his family in 1889. And not long after his return to San Carlos, he was actually fired by a Captain Bullis. Now, Seaver's disapproval of the way Bullis treated the Apaches was what was going on here. Hmm. And when his criticism became too loud, the captain found a reason to get rid of him. Now, I'm assuming that you're saying that Seber actually was a friend to the Apaches. Yeah, I mean, he treated uh, he treated them well. I see. Um, but anyway, after his days as a scout were over, Seber drifted around Arizona. Around the turn of the century, um, he actually managed a gang of Apache who were grading a road to the site of the future Roosevelt Dam. Really? And I, and again, I'm not sure where that Roosevelt Dam is. Is that on? A, I don't think it's on the Colorado. I'm trying to think where it is. But, but it, at be, this time, he's about 60 years of age, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So anyway, in 1907, uh, near Globe, Arizona. So that must be where it's at. Yeah, near, somewhere Arizona. there, yeah. But Sieber was crushed to death by a falling rock while on the job. Oh, my. Now, rumors circulated that Apache workmen had toppled the rock deliberately, and but most people considered his death accidental. That's why the road signs today honor watch him by for watch rock. for falling rock. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Uh, especially if there's uh, Apaches up above. <laughs> so, but anyway, the noted old chief of scouts was buried in Globe, Arizona. And, really? Uh, that's the story of Al Sieber. Albert Sieber. 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 Yeah. But uh, here's a guy that probably was did as much as Kit Carson and some of these others. But, you know, again, a guy that I guess maybe wasn't romanticized enough for Hollywood. How, however, or, the documentation of that man's life, Albert Sieber, would be a lot easier to verify than some of the mountain men stories that are a lot of them just stories. That's exactly right. I mean, and we've talked about some of those mountain men that could uh, pretty well keep you entertained around a campfire, and sometimes they actually told the truth. So how old was the guy? He was about what when Let's he see, had the rock fall He was on about him. 60 by now, yeah. 65, something like something that. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, and uh, there again, just to live that long on the plains, uh, in any 
position, whether you were a mountain man, a hunter, a guide, whatever. That was kind of unusual, really. Remember the old show, uh, Wagon Train? Oh, with yeah. With the scout uh, that used to go out and check ahead for the wagon train oh, and yeah. everything? Yeah. yeah I, those were great shows. I mean... I, How honest was Hollywood, according to what you've read about scouts in this book? Well, I don't think they give enough credit to the Indian scouts. I see. Because, again, you're talking about people. This is their native land in a lot of places and cases. And they know where the water is. They know how to get through a mountain pass. They know where the enemy might be running to because they would know, okay, there's water 20 miles ahead in this certain place. Which I was going to ask you about. Maybe we could do a, a story sometime on wagon trains. How far did they plan on going before they absolutely had to find water? The the wagon trains? The wagon trains, yeah. Well, just right out here locally, they had a kind of a rough uh, time between Raft River where uh, the Oregon Trail and the California Trail split right. until they got out here to the Declo area. Oh, uh, that's at, quite a ways. And that's, what, 20 miles or yeah. so without water. So they really had to be cautious about what the scouts were finding and yeah. where. And, and again, the scouts for the wagon trains, they had to have some knowledge about you know how far to water yeah. and uh, uh, passes to avoid. They and, definitely knew what a mud dauber was. They probably did. Yeah. And... Uh, there again with the with the Oregon Trail, you know, a lot of people just consider it this one single trail, and it was at places, but there's a lot of places where it was a mile wide. Oh, absolutely, because of the grazing right. and everything else. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So they had to find places for the animals. You really had a good story today. I enjoyed this. I'm guy. patting you on the back. I like these guys that nobody's heard about. Albert Sieber. Albert Sieber, our new hero. He died in 1907. He, he was the originator of the sign on the highway: "Watch oh, for watch falling for rock. rock," which he didn't do. <laughs> he didn't. Don't look up. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.